0: You're listening to a special broadcast with Dr. David Anders. Call 877 795 0122 with your questions now.
1: Thanks for staying with us here on the Real Presence Radio Network as we continue our special broadcast with special guest Dr. David Anders. He's the host of Call the Community here weekdays from 1 to 2 p.m. Central, right here on Real Presence Radio. Dr. Anders, thanks for being with us this afternoon. Hey,
0: Brandon, great to be here. Thanks for having me.
1: Yeah, we're having a great time. Well, we want to give out the number one more time here, 877 and let people know that they can also submit their question on Facebook. And uh, we do have an in-studio question here to, uh, to tackle. I'm just pulling it up. Dr. Anders, Anonymous would like to know, just because you don't see us in the pew— Okay, so this is she's wondering how to respond to this particular, uh, this particular point. Uh, so just because you don't see us in the pew every Sunday doesn't mean we aren't a good person. So how would you respond to somebody who says, just because I don't go to church every Sunday, that doesn't mean I'm not a good person or have morals. Yeah,
0: so uh, now obviously h- how I respond to a question like this in dogmatic theology, I can give you kind of some precise definitions and, and answers that are cogent and that are correct. You don't always, if you're dealing with someone who's antagonistic like this, because that's kind of an antagonistic question, right? It kind of puts you on the defensive. Um, pastorally, I wouldn't always give what I'm getting ready to tell you. I wouldn't, I wouldn't lead with this, you know, with somebody. I'm, I'm, I'm going to start by trying to build friendship. Right. So whenever you're dialoguing with a non Catholic and you're you're really trying to evangelize, um, you have to give them a reason to wanna to believe what you say. Right? You wanna you wanna be Christ to them, you wanna love them, you wanna be present to them, accompany them. And I've had people in my life that I you know, I was friends with for years and years and years before I had an opportunity to share why I was Catholic and why it was important to me. So I'm not gonna lead with uh you know, kind of beating him over the head with a capitalism necessarily. <laughs> um, but here's the true answer, right? So, you know, first of all, I would like to say, well, how do you know you're good? How do you know you're good? Like, what do you mean by that? What do you mean by I'm good? Okay? A lot of times what people mean is they say, well, I'm nice. And nice is good. Nice is nice. Nice is alright. But, but there's a lot more to good than nice, you know? Um, and in fact... You can, you can be awful good and not be all that nice. You seriously again. I mean, you think about the kind of virtue that, say, someone who is willing to uh, pay the ultimate price, you know, lay down their life, uh, first responder, military hero, mm-hmm. uh, social reformer, you know, that, that sort of – we admire these people tremendously. We reckon, ugh, they got the stuff, man. They're a lot better than I am. But maybe they're a bit gruff, you know, <laughs> when you meet them. Right, yeah. so not, nice is not a sufficient, not a sufficient explanation. What about the fellow who, um, you know, maybe he's kind of shut mouth, don't have a lot to say. Uh, you know, it takes a little while to warm up to him. Um, but uh, unbeknownst to you, maybe he has just uh, the heroic gift of chastity and fidelity to his wife,
1: hmm.
0: and uh, maybe she gets sick. You know maybe maybe their their marriage is a challenging a difficult one, and she's on her sickbed for decades upon decades, and maybe he grumbles a little bit when he brings the tea and she says, "You forgot the lemon, you know um, but uh, but there he is totally committed to that to that uh, uh, that continent life that he has to live, totally give up maybe his own sexuality, um impurity and and is he nice? Maybe you wouldn't know, but is he good? Oh, there's a goodness flowing through him. That she would never recognize a degree of virtue and commitment and and self immolation really to the good of his marriage uh, that uh, that you would never witness that you would never know so i 'm just throw out these as illustrations to show you that there 's a lot more to goodness than just than just being a nice guy
1: mm-hmm.
0: now what is uh, justice justice for example, is an incredibly important part of being genuinely and truly good right and in justice, what is our first duty? Justice means rendering to another what they deserve. What is their due? Well, the highest act of justice, the most important act of justice, is to render thanks and praise and honor to Almighty God. And, and uh, it matters that we do that, that we do that. And the principal act of justice in religion is to offer sacrifice. Can you imagine in marriage if you said, I love you, but I'm not willing to sacrifice for you? It's a contradiction in terms. I, I love you, honey, but I'm not going to do anything for you. I just, not convenient, don't like it. Hey, just because I don't ever show up, you know, I don't do what you ask. I'm still a good person. No, we would say that's absurd.
1: Mm-hmm. Right?
0: Well, what do you give up for God? What do you sacrifice for God? And here's the thing. We, we can't really make God sacrifices that are adequate To his glory. We owe everything to God. Our lives, our being, everything. So because we don't have what it takes to render him proper thanks and praise, he's so nice, if I can use that word, that he gave us that wherewith we are to honor him and worship him. He gave us the gift of his only son, and he, he prolongs and perpetuates that presence among us in the Holy Eucharist. And above all, above all, the Mass, the Eucharist, is a sacrifice. A sacrifice that we render to God that's, that's worthy of his majesty. The infinite merits of Christ our Lord offered on the altar of the Holy Mass in reparation for the sins of the world. Now, you know, if you're not a Catholic, you've not thought about justice, you haven't thought about the virtue of religion, you haven't thought about the duty to worship God, this argument won't seem very compelling. I understand that. So part of the good of becoming Catholic, and maybe just taking on authority, what at first doesn't make a lot of sense to you, is gradually coming to understand a deeper, far more robust idea of what justice entails and what worship entails. And then one who begins to live this life of corporate worship that we call the mass and living a sacrificial life of rendering honor and praise to God, if, if one does so with intention, with, with deliberation, with charity and faith, the, the transformative effect on your personality is such that you will genuinely become that good person in a far more deep and robust sense than ever you would have known before, mm-hmm. right? Because your life will take on a contemplative dimension, and in, in contemplation, really, is just is just beholding in awe and wonder some object that has value that's worthy of that kind of consideration. Right, uh, the lover who gazes in an unbroken gaze of fascination upon his lover has something of the contemplative about his person or her person in that moment. But that same sort of disposition. Ordered towards the highest and most transcendent good, which is God Himself, that is the contemplation to which we are all called. In the story of Mary and Martha, you know, Jesus said of Mary, "She has chosen the better part, the better part to sit and 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 meditate and bathe in the glory and goodness of God." The psalmist writes in morning prayer for today. I think it's Psalm sixty-two. My God, my God, I lo- my my I long I thirst for you. My body pines for you. Right, and and. You that's right. That's just that that is good. That is genuine that we have this disposition is a good thing. If we are devoid of that attitude, we're not good in the fullest sense of the word. We're not we're not realizing all the goods that are our that is our due as human beings or something deficient. It's like a man who's colorblind who doesn't know what colors are and doesn't know that he's missing something. Mm. But if you suddenly gave him that The world appears in technicolor, and he says, what was I missing all these years, right? That's the kind of goodness that can be realized through attendance at Holy Mass, which is the sacrifice that Christ gave us himself. So you won't see that you're missing something, but you're missing something profound, something prescribed to us by
1: God himself. Thanks for that question from our in-studio audience member. I should mention we are at Autoimmune Angels here in Rochester, Minnesota. Why are we in Rochester? Well, we're having a fundraising banquet tonight with our featured guest, Dr. David Anders. He'll be giving the keynote. So if you're in the area and uh, you happen to be coming to the banquet, we, we look forward to visiting with you tonight. And uh, if you are not in the area, then we can continue to take your calls at 877-7950. You'll have the opportunity to visit with Dr. David Anders right now. Let's go back to the phones here, Dr. Anders. We've got Dante from Minnesota calling in. Good uh, afternoon, Dante. Good afternoon. What is your question for Dr. Anders? Yesterday, I watched a video called The Veil Removed, and I'm wondering what in what point during the mass do the angels and saints come down from heaven?
0: Yes, thank you. I appreciate the question. So, um, you know, angels angels um, are spirits, and that means they don't have bodies, and so uh, they don't they they can they can bring their attention to a specific place or to a specific person. But they don't really move from one place to another because that's something that only a body can do, right? But at the moment of the consecration, when the Eucharist becomes the body and blood of our Lord, then all of a sudden, in that moment, present on the altar in the mass, is is an object, a person, worthy of divine worship. And so in that moment, all of the angels in heaven adore the blessed sacrament because it is God himself. And in the same way, the, the, the saints in heaven will, will, will adore with solemn worship the body and blood of Christ present for us upon the altar.
1: Does that make sense, Dante? Yeah. I think. Okay. <laughs> Excellent. Thanks so much for your call. And that opens up a line for you at 877 795 0122. 877 795 0122. We've got quite the uh, young crowd today, Dr. Anders. You know,
0: I was wondering what is the difference between the typical EWTN listening audience and, uh, and the real presence radio listening audience? And, you know, it, it, worldwide, especially in the developed world, the Catholic. Membership in Catholic churches is tending to kind of average age sort of going up, you know, and that, there are parishes where I go where it's mostly gray heads, you know.
1: Evidently, you guys don't have that yeah. problem in the upper Midwest, you know. Yeah. Catholics are getting younger we're, and younger up here. We're just lining them up. <laughs> 877-795-0122 for you to call in with your question. Travis from Rochester dialed the number, and he has a question, and he's on the line. Good afternoon, Travis. Hello,
0: Dr. Anders.
1: Hey,
0: Travis! Uh, I'm a little bit bit older than a couple of your previous callers. All right. (laughs) Um, You know, thank you for all you do, by the way. my My main question for you is, I haven't looked that deeply into this question, but are the incorruptibles strictly within the Catholic faith, or can can they be found within other parts of history? Yeah, thanks. So I appreciate the question. So, um, you know, I I cannot go out and independently verify uh, whether the remains of uh, of some cadaver have been preserved to you know a particular extent or not, and I just don't have uh, I just don't have you know a good sampling to answer the question. But in principle, in principle, it seems to me reasonable to assume that there may be incorrupt bodies. Uh, for you know, for natural reasons, distributed uh, around the world, if environmental conditions and so forth would permit, um, and uh, uh, and and also you know, it's I think it's I think it's difficult to assess, even with the incorruptibles that are Catholic saints, um, the precise explanation for why they are incorrupt. So you know, the the fact that a body is corrupted or not corrupted is not per se evidence of sanctity or evidence against sanctity. And sometimes there are, you know, bodies of Catholic saints uh, that, you know, we know to have been tremendously holy people. I remember when, they, when, they, uh, uh, when John Henry Cardinal Newman was beatified and they dug him up, uh, they couldn't find anything. There was nothing there. It was a very moist place where he'd been buried, and they were, there was literally nothing, not one single piece of organic matter that they could determine. Did that mean that Newman was any less holy? Absolutely not. I mean, Pope Francis just canonized the guy, right? And, uh, and, and so if I find, you know, the mummified remains of some ancient Egyptian monarch, uh, that doesn't make him holy either, right? But it is true, from time to time, there are saints whose bodies were incorrupt and and their preservation certainly seems miraculous. And, uh, and at the very least, it gives us a tremendous opportunity uh, to venerate their relics which is a very pious and holy practice
1: how's that Travis it's
0: perfect thank you Hey,
1: thank you Travis thanks so much for your call and you can call in at eight seven 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 nine five zero one two two that call in number again eight seven 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 nine five zero one two two you can also submit your questions on Facebook email them in. Whichever way you'd like to use, we'll make sure they get to Dr. Anders as we continue our special broadcast this afternoon until 2 o'clock Central Time, 877-795-0122. While we wait to get our next caller screened here, Dr. Anders, we uh, mentioned that we're coming live from Autoimmune Angels in Rochester, which uh, focuses on, um, let's call it holistic health. And uh, You know, I I think there's a lot of ties between bodily health and spiritual health, and I'm wondering if you might be able to speak a little bit to that, given our setting this afternoon.
0: Yeah, to be sure. So, uh, in the Catholic tradition, there's actually a a fair amount of emphasis placed on questions of food and drink and and personal discipline, and not so much for their own sake, but for the effect that they have on our spirituality, and of course, Jesus himself uh, practiced fasting on a regular basis, and he admonished that his followers would also fast. Uh, St. Paul doesn't shy away from making uh, uh, nutritional uh, uh, suggestions to St. Timothy. He, you know, On occasion, he said, like, take even wine for your stomach, that sort of thing. Um, and, uh, of course, gluttony has always been condemned as a potentially a mortal sin in the Catholic tradition. And then in the monastic tradition, tradition and the ascetical tradition of the Catholic Church is actually quite a lot of discussion on our relationship to food and drink and sleep and these sorts of things Clement of Alexandria uh, second century doctor of the church or teacher c- Catholic saint and theologian in uh, in his book on the teacher uh, which is a treatise on Christ has a chapter in there where he discusses uh, the right things to eat and he actually says you know don't eat a lot of refined flour eat whole grains keep the kernel and the you know the the germ and all the rest of it is more is more healthy and it's less luxurious and it's better for you. Believe it or not, even not even modern medicine. Long time ago, those kinds of insights. Um, Benedict of Nursia has a chapter in his Benedictine Rule on what monks should eat. You know what he said they should eat: whole grains in the form of bread, <laughs> whole grains and vegetables, uh, very little meat. You know, no saturated fat, no sugar. Mm. Um, and uh, he, did, he did make a generous allowance for the monks to have wine, actually. <laughs> a henna of wine a day, actually, is the amount that they could have. But I think it's about 14 ounces. Um, and a pound of bread, that was actually what he prescribed, hmm. right? Which I think is about 1,200 calories. So if you do the math, <laughs> you know, the, the monks were not, were not, they were not overstuffed, yeah. but they weren't starved, you know. And, uh, and St. Thomas Aquinas uh, in the Summa, actually, in Summa Theologica, great textbook of Catholic doctrine and theology, talks about the, the effects that certain foods have on uh, our appetites and on lust in particular. And Thomas suggested, for example, that overindulgence in, uh, in the kinds of foods that tend to craving right, is associated with, uh, uh, with lust. In particular, he thought you should stay off of eggs and meat you know, if you wanted to kind of curb your sexual appetites. And, and I have um, actually done some independent research in the science on this. And what Thomas said is uh, is not wrong. Is not wrong. And there is a genuine relationship between those foods that tend to craving, like you know, salt, uh, sugar, and fat, and uh, and then the tendency of people to sort of have like addictive cravings and tendencies. Mm. So as we can as we can begin to train and moderate ourselves in terms of what we eat, exercise, and sleep, and things like that, uh, we can begin to build kind of the first steps of natural virtue. And, uh, and, you know, no virtue is lost in Christian spirituality. Those things can be graced and translate over into occasions for a deeper relationship with God. Now, notice how I said that. I was very careful the way I said yeah, that. Yeah. So I'm not saying that if you eat right and exercise, you have a good relationship with God. I didn't say that. Right. What I said is they, these could be stepping stones, bridges for us to kind of build our capacity for, say, contemplation and prayer and self-discipline and virtue, things that can in turn then be graced by God and lead us into a deeper relationship with him.
1: Yeah, I, you know, when I went on my first uh, silent retreat, uh, the, uh, the, uh, the director of the retreat said, now you may be tempted to want to fast and pray always, but make sure you eat plenty and get enough sleep. Uh, because you want to be in a position to receive what the Lord is going to give you. And if you don't have the nourishment of of sleep and and the nourishment of food, it might be a little difficult for you. Plenty, but not too much. Yes. (laughs) Let's go back to the phones here, Dr. Anders. We've got Bernadette from Fargo on the line calling in with a question. Good afternoon, Bernadette. Hello. What's your question for Dr. Anders? Okay, so my question is um, I have a, um, a non-Catholic friend um, and uh, we were having a discussion the other day um, about uh, marriage and she's in a difficult one. Um, not, not physically abusive or anything like that, um, but just generally emotionally um, miserable, frustrated. Um, and so we were discussing... Uh, marriage and uh, vows and the, basically the binding of marriage. And um, I, I had commented that her husband was beloved son of God, and she was a beloved daughter of God. And um, she just said, well, I can't believe that God would want me to be this miserable and want me okay. to stay in this marriage.
0: yeah, yeah. How do I respond? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so, you know, I, I am... I, of course, I'm in no position to assess the question of the validity of their marriage. I, I have no, I can't have an opinion on that one way or another. So let me let me just set up a hypothetical. Let us assume, for the sake of argument, that a couple has a valid marriage, all right, and that the marriage is a source of suffering, intense suffering. Does God bring us into situations in which we will be subjected to intense suffering? Does God ever intend that? Of course he does. Of course he does. In fact, we are commanded in sacred scripture that we must take up our cross and follow Jesus, who died the death of torture after being rejected by all of those who loved him. The Son of God suffered worse than any human being and suffered in every way that a human being could suffer. And we are actually called to follow him in that. And St. Paul says that if we do not suffer with Christ, we will not reign with him In glory. Willing submission to the will of God, even in the face of suffering, is an essential part of the Christian life. The Blessed Virgin Mary, who said, Be it done to me according to thy word, was probably about 14 years old. Uh, Every tradition about St. Joseph says he was a much older man. They never consummated the marriage. Shortly after the birth of Jesus, they fled into exile into a foreign country where they didn't know the language and they didn't know the culture. And then she came back home, of course, to watch her son die a death of torture and then lived out her days as an impoverished widow. Not an easy life. And yet it brought about, it brought about the greatest possible spiritual fruitfulness, the salvation of the world. And that is the that is our attitude and disposition towards suffering. We have to say with Mary, be it done to me according to thy word. You cannot know now in the present moment what good God may bring out of your suffering. St. Rita of Kasia is our friend here. Rita had a very difficult marriage. Very painful marriage, but her fidelity to marriage eventually won the salvation of her husband and her child. It was not a happy marriage, but it was a successful Christian marriage because it brought salvation to her and to her family, right? And is an example to us. In Ephesians chapter 5, we learn that the model of all Christian marriage is not the Blessed Trinity, as sometimes people say, but the crucifixion. That is the picture of Christian married life, the the immolation upon the cross, being willing to die a death of torture in order to bring your spouse to God and your children and your neighbors. Now, that doesn't mean that's the lot of every person. But can there be a role for suffering in the Christian life? You bet. Can it come through your spouse? You bet. Do you know the outcome in advance? You don't. You don't. You have to surrender to God's providence. I myself had to go through this. I had a very difficult marriage, saw no possibility of the thing ever being healed, but God in his grace through the Catholic faith brought healing to my marriage, and now I live a life of marital bliss, even though there was a day when I wished that at least one of us would get hit by a bus. Um, so, I, you know, I would recommend, I wrote a book on the topic, I would recommend to you and your friend, it's called The Catholic Church Save My Marriage, and I think it'll help you with a perspective on how could you live in a suffering marriage, what possible reason could God have, what good could come out
1: of it. Trust me, good can come out of it, even if you don't see it now. Bernadette, thanks for your call, and that should wrap up today's special broadcast. Dr. Anders, it's been a pleasure. Thanks for hey, being thanks, on. thanks,
0: Brandon. Glad to be here.
1: Yeah, we've had a great time. We obviously again looking forward to our banquet tonight in Rochester. Thanks again to Autoimmune Angels as well for hosting us both this morning for Real Presence Live, this afternoon for our special broadcast. We very much uh, appreciate it, and want to thank Debbie Omira for that. So, that's all we have coming for you this afternoon. We are bring you back to regular programming, open line. With Father Larry Richards is coming up today So be sure to stay tuned for that And as always, Real Presence Live tomorrow morning 9 to 11 a.m. That's our local show And we love it And uh, it's your chance to share your stories On, on anything that you would like to uh, Anything you would like to share So tune in and uh, keep it right here For more great programming on Real Presence Radio
0: Thanks for tuning in for this special live broadcast with Dr. David Anders. You can listen to Dr. David Anders on Call to Communion weekdays from 1 to 2 p.m. Central Time right here on Real Presence Radio. You can also find the Call to Communion podcast online at yourcatholicradiostation.com and on the RPRF. And a special thank you once again to Autoimmune Angels in Rochester for sponsoring and hosting today's program.